it's always uh, fun to have uh, the kids in with us um, and love to, to see how they're, they're processing being in here uh, with, with the adults. Um, but it's also great to see the older kids and see them move from, from one season to the next. Um, and we, we're all in transition in these different seasons, right? And uh, so seeing that in a very tangible way with them, we just uh, look forward to, to having uh, these sixth graders in the youth group uh, over, over the next uh, several years as we continue on this journey together as a family. Um, talking about God uh, can be challenging, right? Having these, these God talk moments where we're talking with one another about God, even if we're, we're talking to strangers about God, talking uh, to, to friends that are not believers, talking about God can be challenging at times. Even, even for the professionals, uh, they can have difficulty at times with it. There, was, there, there were a couple of pastors uh, that were, were out on the side of the road, and they were um, holding up signs that said, the end is near, turn yourself around. Um, and they're out there. The, the plan had been to, to hold this sign up for each passing car. You've seen the, the signs. You've seen the comics that have uh, the person with the billboard that says the end is near. And so they're, they're there uh, as, as cars are going by. And the first car comes screeching by. And, and the guy rolls down his window and yells and screams at him. You, you crazy religious fanatics, leave the messages to yourself. And, and the car goes around the corner and you hear this screeching of tires and then this big splash um, and then the the ministers look at one another and say maybe we should have just made a sign that says bridge out <laughs> sometimes our messages get confused the end is near uh, the bridge is not there you better turn around it's hard to talk about God because the messages that we share, the, the language we use, the, the jargon that we can use can be misinterpreted. It can be confused. Uh, people bring all their baggage with them when they, they have religious conversations, when they have spiritual conversations. And all of that can become so intimidating that we just cease having those conversations. It's hard to talk about God. And so on the day of Pentecost, which is celebrated today on the Christian calendar, we remember that Acts scene where the believers are gathered around and they're in silence. They don't have a story to tell. They're, they're not speaking. And then the Spirit comes and descends upon them and the silence is broken. That with, with the help of the Holy Spirit, they are now sharing and talking about the great deeds of God. They are talking about the mighty works of God. The church members talked openly about, about who God was and the salvation that is offered through Jesus. And many heard what was being said. And many believed and many were baptized. There were 3,000 of them that day. As they believed the message that was spoken, the words spoken by Peter and the other apostles were inspirational. They were life-changing, and it sparked this explosive growth in the church. And so then and now, God talk has the power to change lives. The story of who God is, the mighty works of God, witnessing to who Jesus is, has 
the power to change lives. But can it be that the church is losing its voice? Or is it that we are losing our willingness to speak? Or worse, we're not relying on the power of the Spirit to work through us to speak. In the New York Times last October, there was an article by Jonathan Merritt, the religious writer, and he said that it is getting harder and harder to talk about God. It didn't take an author to tell us that, right? But he gave us some statistics. He said that although more than 70% of us in the United States identify as Christian, most of us don't feel comfortable speaking about our faith. So 70% identify as Christian but it's difficult to talk about that identification as a Christian. According to a recent Barna survey, more than three-quarters of Americans do not often have spiritual conversations. We're not talking about converting people. We're just talking about having a spiritual conversation. Americans do not um, have these spiritual conversations. Six in ten say that they have spiritual conversations only on rare occasions. And only 7% of Americans say that they talk about spiritual matters regularly. I didn't look at the footnotes to see what regular was. But only 7% have regular spiritual conversations. And now critics of the study say, okay, well, wait a second. That's, that's looking at all Americans. That's not looking at regular church attenders. So regular church attenders, they jump way up from 7% to 13%. 13% of regular church attenders are regularly talking about spiritual matters. That means that only 13% of people are coming to church, and I don't know what you're doing in church, but you're not having spiritual conversations even then. That beyond that regular church gathering, there are no spiritual conversations happening. Only 13% of regular church attenders say that they're having regular spiritual conversations. And so why do we struggle so much to have these conversations, to have this God talk? Again, Jonathan Merritt says today, we, we work, uh, work often takes precedence over worship. Social lives are prioritized over spiritual disciplines. And most people save their Sunday best clothing for Monday through Friday. And so why do we struggle to have these spiritual conversations? Americans feel conflicted, right? It's a difficult environment to have these kinds of conversations. It's hard to be open about our faith. The Barna survey reveals that many people believe that spiritual conversations create tensions, create arguments, and we don't want to have tension and arguments with our friends and family and coworkers. There's also this trend to, to politicize religion, and we don't want to get wrapped up in, in speaking about a faith that we have that may be misidentified with a certain political party or certain political beliefs. And so the politicalization of religion causes us to not talk about it as well, because if, there's, if you don't talk about religion, you really don't need to be talking about politics either. And so we resist having these conversations 
Some people don't have these conversations because they don't want to appear as, as religious or weird or, or extremist. I know these are difficult conversations. I've had conversations with people who, who in their workplace, around the water cooler, everybody is, is attacking Chick-fil-A for their stance on certain issues. And as the minority Christian in that work environment, what do you do? How do you have this conversation? We find ourselves as minorities, and it's tense to talk about it. But if our, our faith is important to us, if we really believe in, in the saving work of Jesus, if we really believe in the, the transformation that happens, wouldn't we want to try to find a way to have these conversations? It is not easy. But thankfully, we have the Spirit to empower us because it's not just in our own efforts. And so we're going to look a little bit this morning at Romans chapter 8, another uh, a passage that is often used with uh, this day of Pentecost, as we look at, of course, the, the day of Pentecost, the story in, in Acts about the, the, the Spirit coming down onto the disciples, but also in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17 is where, where we'll be this morning. The Apostle Paul gives us some, some guidance in his letter to the Romans. It's, he, he wrote this to, to fellow Jesus followers in the capital of the Roman Empire. Can you imagine the Roman Empire at this time? What was the, the political environment, the social environment? If you were a Christian, what kind of environment was that for you? It's a place where Paul knew that spiritual conversations were going to be a challenge, that it would create tensions, that it would create arguments, or even worse. And so he was very much aware as he's writing to the Christians in Rome that, that they would come across as weird, that they would come across as, as extremists. And so the language he uses is always so careful, always so intentional, carefully chosen words. And in this passage of Romans, it gives us an example that connects us to the powerful images of Pentecost and Acts. It says in Romans 8, verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the, the children of God. Of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So we're not to live in fear. We're not slaves. That's not the spirit that's given to us. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We need to read that verse every day, over and over and over, knowing who we are, knowing what has been given to us, 
And so Paul is speaking to the Roman church here. He, he knows that his audience is made up primarily of Jewish Christians. And so he uses terms and images that have this rich tradition in the Jewish history. And so he uses this family language, this family image, this idea of becoming part of God's own family. It builds on this idea that the, the people of God, the Jewish people, are chosen. It's this chosenness of Israel in this special place in God's heart. He builds on this. You are chosen. You're chosen to be my children. So Paul reaffirms this, this chosen status of God's people. But, but here it is the work of the Spirit that's at play that's doing all the action. It's not the people. It isn't through personal accomplishment. It isn't through intelligence. It isn't through unique gifting. It is through the power of the Spirit that believers are able to become children of God. That it's not how good of a kid you are that makes you chosen. That you are a child of God through the power of the Spirit. Not in our ability to be a good kid, to be a good child. And so Paul isn't giving us a bunch of rules to follow. He's not giving us a bunch of regulations. He's talking about life in God's family, what it means to be a child of God. And who doesn't want to be a part of a great family? Especially in our world today of dysfunctional families where family members are rejecting one another. We could go around the room and share probably 200 stories from 100 people about dysfunctional families and the hurt that we've seen. Story after story of husband and wife rejecting one another, of fathers rejecting children, Children rejecting parents. Siblings rejecting one another. And we see the ripple effects of that. And the pain of that. Of seeing what rejection causes. But in God's family, we are chosen. We are not rejected. We are chosen. And who doesn't want to be a part of a family where you were chosen by your father? That you are a child of God. And he chooses you. As much as the world rejects us, as much as the hurt of, of, of people who, who mess up around us, as much as that happens around us, who doesn't want to be a part of the family of God? To be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And we see the hurt and the rejection in our lives, and it's hard to say, how, how do we call God Father when we see so many bad father examples around us? And many of you have been hurt by your father's. And so to, to call God 
father is hard. That's not a good term. But God is an adoptive father who chooses you, selects you, picks you, and says, you are my heir. You were chosen by me. Those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. And, and the Spirit leads us away from this, this self-centered, isolated living and moves us toward a God-centered family living. And it's in the context of family, and not dysfunctional human family, but the highly functional, fully loving, grace-oriented God family. And it's in that God family that shapes our actions and our attitudes and, and our values. Later in Romans, in chapter 12, verse 9, Paul lists out some of these values of what it means to be a part of the family of God. He says, love must be sincere. He says, hate what is evil. He says, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is life in the family of God. This unconditional love, love and mutual affection and honor and zeal and hope and perseverance and hospitality, these words describe God's family. They are the marks of a person led by the Spirit. They are the values of God's children, our values. And as we talk about God with others, should we not talk about the values instead of the rules? Talk about the values instead of the rules. The grace instead of rules. The acceptance instead of the judgment. That, that, that most people will discuss the values that they have in their lives. It's easy to have a conversation about what's important to you. And what's valuable. We have those conversations all the time. And so can we engage in conversation about these kingdom values? What does love and honor, and hope, and perseverance, and hospitality look like? What can we say about who God is? Can, can we talk about God as this adopted father? This family image that Paul uses? That, that, that we can say God is like a father who adopts us. Not like a screwed up earthly father. Not one who fails you and makes mistakes at varying degrees of hurtfulness. But here's a father who is perfect in his love for you. That he chooses you and selects you to be a part of his family. And not just on the fringe of his family. To be an heir full of, of the rights and privileges that come with being 
a part of that family. And so as we look at, at this family language, it, it gives us an idea of at least three different things that we can see and learn from here. The first one is that we are chosen. Can we really anchor in on that, that we are chosen? Like really get that into our hearts and believe that we are chosen. Not by our own abilities, not by our own sinlessness, not by our own perfection, but we are chosen even in our imperfection, even in our quirkiness. We talked about how quirky all of you are, right? <laughs> Only you. Even in that imperfection, God chooses you. And according to Roman legal ideas of adoption, that if someone was adopted, they would have a whole new identity, a whole new status, a, a whole new set of relationships. And that child would become a part of this new family with all the rights and privileges of any other child in that family. And so if someone asks you about your concept of God, can this concept be that, that God is like a parent, a mom, a dad who has adopted us, chosen us, cared for us? No religious jargon, no theological treatise, no set of rules, no set of judgments, but God is an intimate parent who loves his children and chooses us. A second thing that we can look at is, is that we talk to God. Because of this new relationship that we have with God, we have this interaction with God. It's because of this close kinship that we can approach God with any concern that we have at any time. Just as a child can go to a loving parent, we can go to God in the same manner. We can, not, we, we can come to God and cry out, Abba, Father. That as, as his children, we can speak to him. We can plead to him. And so the Spirit of God makes it possible for us to experience this new identity, to, to experience this new status, this new set of relationships as members of God's family. And so in a world full of dysfunctional families where it's hard to talk to one another, it's hard to have these conversations, it's difficult to have the kinds of conversations that we really long to have with one another. God is there listening. And through the Spirit, we can have those conversations. But then third, also, we become heirs. Heirs. Heirs of God's kingdom. And not only that, we are our joint heirs with Christ. That what Jesus gets, we get. Jesus' relationship with God is our relationship with God. What, what Jesus inherits from his Father, we inherit from our Father. We're heirs, joint heirs with Jesus, the firstborn of this great large family. And so we have all the privileges, all the rights, access to the same things that Jesus has. And so it is the spirit-led life. But he also says, that not only do we bear the good things, but we also bear in his sufferings. That there's also this cross to bear with Jesus. 
that Jesus came here to this earth, lived life as a human, and did not live a life that was comfortable. Did not live a life that was free of pain. Did not live a life that was free of sacrifice. That the life that Jesus lived required him to bear a cross. And so being a part of this family comes at a cost. Being a part of God's family, being chosen to be a part of this family means, yes, we are accepted just as we are. Yes, we are loved by the Father. Yes, he gives us everything that he gives Jesus, but he also gives Jesus a mission, a purpose, a calling. And we receive that as well. And so can we have these spiritual conversations with this framework? Thinking about family, thinking about who we are with God, thinking about what we're called into, the values, not the rules, not the judgments, but the grace and the acceptance. Conversations about spiritual things are challenging. But can we use these languages of chosenness? this ability to communicate with God, this being heirs of God? Can we use this in our conversations with others? Can we use this in our conversations with each other? Because frankly, we don't have enough spiritual conversations even among ourselves. Can we talk about and remind one another that we are chosen, that God hears us, that we are heirs, that comes with incredible authority and incredible power. And so on this day of Pentecost, the church needs to begin to talk again. Will we speak? Will we have a voice? Will we speak of the great and wonderful things of God? Not religious jargon, not words of condemnation, not words of judgment, but clear words of what it means to be children of God, to be adopted by God, to be led by the Spirit in those conversations. That it's not our power, it's not our ability, it's not our giftedness, but it's the Spirit of God working through us to declare the mighty works of God. And so when we speak of things like love and speak of things like honor and hope and hospitality, and even better yet, when we back up those words with the actions of our lives, will our lives be marked differently? It will be in that environment that the world will get the message, that the world will hear, and there will be explosive growth, explosive growth, as people become spirit-led, children of God, adopted into his family. Let's be standing together. We're going to enter into a time of, of prayer now, as well as a time of communion, that we remember the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We remember his death and, and the new relationship that we have 
with God because of that sacrifice. That who we are as children is because of Jesus' gift for us. And so we have tables prepared on the side here. Um, if you're unable to, to move up to one of those tables, you can just raise your hand, and we've got a couple of people who will come to you and serve, uh, serve you at your chair. Uh, but this is a time for us to go and gather around the tables, and, and you don't have to do it alone. You can take somebody with you. You can pray together. You can encourage one another. We can practice these spiritual conversations just among ourselves, right? Reminding one another of who we are, encouraging one another in the name of Jesus. And so we'll have an open prayer time during this time. You can come down and pray with one of the shepherds. Uh, members of the prayer team are around. You can pray with one of those. Um, you can just seek out a friendly face and ask for prayer. You can get together as a life group, as a family, as a couple. Let's spend this time spend this time in prayer and encouragement, speaking words of truth to one another. Let's pray.